Well, I want to take a little exception. Thanks for the prayer. This is not the most important part of the service. What you did was very beautiful and important part too. Amen? Amen. Amen. <laughs> oh. Well, welcome. I came in at 8 o'clock this morning and it was really nice outside and now it's, uh, it's coming down. So you're not in a hurry to leave, are you? Good. Well, this morning we're, uh, we continue our journey in the Gospel of Luke. And uh, Pastor Doug, he selected a different passage in Luke 10. And Luke 10 has actually a few parts. So I will tell you, I selected something that is very familiar to probably many of you. And that's the parable of the Good Samaritan. However, there may be something in this parable and in the context of Jesus' teaching, that might be new to you. So be open to that, will you? Would you promise that? Be open to, don't think maybe necessarily the way you learn this in VBS or Sunday school one day, that there's maybe another part to this parable of the Good Samaritan. But I, I want us to look at Luke. I've been intrigued by Luke, the writer. Uh, Luke, as you know and may remember, is the only Gentile writer in the New Testament. Luke, yes, was a Gentile, and he was a physician. And uh, he speaks, he put together this gospel and addressed it to his dear friend Theophilus, who was also a Gentile. And he wanted Theophilus to see the accuracy, the completeness Welcome, Jerry, Karen, of the, of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Yeah, who else would do that? I love you guys, so you know that. Um, but he wanted them to see, wanted Theophilus to see the accuracy. And he wanted to unfold the whole ministry of Jesus, especially Jesus' humanity. You see, Luke, as a physician, had maybe a little different lens in which he looked at this gospel. So uh, we're going to look at it, and I want you to think about the lens of Luke. The other thing about Luke that I, I wonder is, when did he come to his faith in Christ? Do you know? I don't. But I'm guessing. I'm guessing Luke may have come to his faith through Paul. Paul was a contemporary of Luke. And I can only imagine Paul as, as one who was steeped in religiosity, uh, a Jew of all Jews, a Hebrew of all Hebrews, that I think maybe it was Paul who shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with Luke. And you remember, what is the gospel, the mystery of the gospel, that unraveling, I'll say, of the gospel that Paul probably shared with him, that the gospel was first to the Jews, but then to who? The Gentiles. And what was Luke? A Gentile. So I can only imagine how excited Luke was to hear these words from Paul, to understand that the gospel was for him. And I don't know about you, but there's nothing greater than the fervor of someone who's new to faith, new to faith in Christ. Sometimes we think it's just an emotional thing, like a, a flickering of a candle, a bright flame, but, but for many that flame goes on and it deepens. And they want to share that good news to others. I think that's the Gospel of Luke. 
Luke wants to share this good news, the completeness, the entirety, the accuracy of Jesus' ministry to us, not just Theophilus. So uh, maybe there's something now that you think of Luke maybe a little differently. I, I'm not sure. But I can tell you this, one of the things that Luke did too in looking at the significance of Jesus' humanity was looking at the significance of Jesus' ministry to the people. He had a special note, and ladies, this is for you. He noted women in Jesus' involvement with women in the scripture, the significance of that. He looked at those that maybe had been, and we well know, had been marginalized by many. Luke saw Jesus through another lens. He saw his ministry too, as well, to children. So there's much that we need to think about with regards to Luke. So if you read Luke chapter 10, the first is his calling of the 72 that went out. And that's a pretty poignant uh, list of scriptures there. Um, and then he follows the parable of the Good Samaritan with guess what? His visit to Mary and Martha in the home. And remember that, how he said, oh, Martha, Martha, why do you fret? Let Mary spend time with me, right? He's, he's acknowledging the significance of Mary and her desire to worship him. So this morning, we look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it all starts with a legal expert of the law. And these are the words in Luke 10, starting with verse 25. On one occasion, a legal expert stood up to test Jesus. He said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus responds. He said this, and this is critical of Jesus' ministry. Often he's asked a question, and instead of answering it, he asked another question back. In fact, in the Gospels, just to let you know a little tidbit, Jesus is asked 183 questions, and he responds with 303 questions back. Try that at home, guys. Maybe you just should listen. So he said, Jesus then said, what is written in the law? He replied, and how do you read it? Well, he replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you have answered correctly, he replied. Go, do this, and, and he said, you will live. This wasn't the end. This legal expert asked this. He wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And then, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away and left him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he came and saw the place where the man was, he passed by on the other side. And so too, a Levite, when he came and saw the place and saw the man, he passed by on the other side. But then 
Then there was this, a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came to where the man was and when he saw him, he went to him and he had pity on him. And what did he do? He took bandages and oil and wine and anointed him. And then he picked him up, put him on his donkey and he took him to an inn. And he stayed with him there. And the next day, he gave two denarii to the innkeeper. And he said to him, take care of him. And when I return, if I owe you any extra money, I will reimburse you. Which of these three, Jesus said, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, and you notice he didn't say the word Samaritan. He said the one who showed, had mercy on him. And then Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Significant parable here, and I think it's important for us to understand somewhat the context, because as readers of this, we think there's something wrong with the priest and the Levite, don't we? Not so much in that context. You see, this legal expert would not have been surprised at Jesus using those two individuals that they passed by because, you see, this man who had been beaten was left half dead. If either one of them had gone and touched this man, gone to him, they would have defiled themselves. You see, they were very righteous. And they, they, would, they would have then had to go to the temple. They'd had to go through a significant cleansing process to, uh, to achieve their status of being a priest and a Levite where they were serving. Jesus never acknowledged that in this parable, did he? He didn't have to tell them because they knew. This legal expert knew this. Because the very fact is, this legal ex expert wanted to justify himself. He was no different than the priest or the Levite. You see, his neighbor, as he interpreted it, would be anyone who was righteous, who followed the law, but not someone like possibly this man who had been beaten. So when, when Jesus used the Samaritan as an example, that legal expert would have said, of course you'd use a Samaritan. He's already defiled. You see, a Samaritan lived, they took part of the Hebrew tradition, Jewish laws, but they also took on other laws. They were a syncretistic way of uh, faith. So they were looked at by the Pharisees, the chief priests, those leaders of the church as being totally defiled. So it's really no surprise in this parable that Jesus would have said a Samaritan. A Samaritan would go and give to this man. But what Jesus is saying here indirectly is it's not about being righteous. It's about acknowledging who you are in Christ. You see, Jesus came not to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill the law. He's sharing this in this parable, the significance. And although this legal expert, who is very smart, 
because he actually knows the Torah. He knew the law. He knew it so well because when he quoted, he quoted, first of all, Deuteronomy 6.5, he quoted part of the Shema, Hear, O Israel, should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And then he brought in Leviticus 19.18, which God then informed the Israelites to love your neighbor as yourself. So he knew it. He knew it, didn't he? The problem was he didn't have it here. He had it up here. That furthest distance from a man's heart, a woman's heart, from their heart to their mind. It's what happens. That's what Jesus was trying to share here. He was trying to say, look at, look at what has happened. Look at me for what I've done. Because you got to realize, as I mentioned to you, Jesus went to the marginalized, didn't he? He went to women. He went to the leper. And, and what had happened to Jesus, one of his first miracles, remember that? When the leper ran to him, the leper ran to him and fell at his feet and said, if you are willing, teacher, you can make me clean. What did Jesus do first? He touched the man. What did he do? He defiled himself. But he didn't let that stop. You see, he came to fulfill the law. He came to show compassion. And then his words were, I am willing, be clean. But then he also said to the leper, now, don't go and tell people about this. Be quiet. But go to the priest in the temple, and he'll offer the sacrifices needed for your cleansing. So Jesus knew. He was, he was saying, yes, the law is important. So go ahead and do that. But I'm going to heal you. You see, there was a picture here of what happened. And I also can't help but believe when this legal expert stood up, who, where were they? It doesn't say in Scripture, does it? But Jesus was always doing one of a couple things. He was either teaching or he was eating and drinking. And usually with sinners, wasn't he? In fact, those chief priests, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, called him a drunkard because he enjoyed being with people, enjoyed eating with them, fellowshipping with them. I can't imagine, and I guess I want you to imagine this, that Jesus at this time was probably sitting with his disciples, maybe around a meal. And there were others there. My guess is just a couple chapters before, you may remember what happened. Jesus was invited to dinner at a Pharisee's house. And guess who showed up? A woman. A woman of ill repute. She was at the side, the back of Jesus, and she wept over his feet, and she broke an alabaster jar and poured expensive perfume over Jesus. And she wiped his feet with her hair. I can't imagine, maybe, she was there today. She was there at that time. And maybe there was the woman that also just recently, when Jesus was in a large crowd and there were people all around, and he said, who touched me? Well, the disciples said, well, Jesus, everybody's been touching you. He said, no, someone touched me. And who touched him? It was a woman who probably, he said he touched, she touched the hem of his garment, probably his prayer tassels. And what happened? 
she was healed. The woman then surfaced and Jesus looked at her and he said, your faith has healed you. I think that woman was there too. So this isn't just a small group. I think there's quite a few people. So as Jesus was sharing this parable, there were others there that were listening. These were people who were what? Marginalized. And Jesus was sharing the importance of what the Samaritan did to this beaten man. You see, what Jesus is saying here to us and Luke, the writer, is that being a neighbor is a messy place to be. Did you ever think of that? Sometimes, isn't it easier to walk on the other side of the path and maybe not deal with something you see? Well, first of all, I want to show you the path. This is the path, if you could show the slide, of the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. There's two pictures. You can see one and there's another one right after. That road is a pretty treacherous road. You can see, and it, it stretches 17 miles from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's not a road you would want to send your child alone. It's not a road you'd send a daughter. Thought of my daughters. I wouldn't want to send them on that road. It's a treacherous place where robbers, where thieves would hide out, where they would look for opportunities to steal. Reminded me of, there were times in my previous life, I, were, I was in areas of Chicago that weren't always the best areas. You all like going down to Michigan Avenue and seeing the lights and going into the stores and doing the shopping. I was in places like the west side of Chicago. How many of you have been to the west side of Chicago? Yeah, Jared knows, yeah. You know, it's really not the safest place to be. People think of the south side of Chicago. The west side of Chicago is really a rather more treacherous place to be. You'll see an intersection. You'll come. It's not unusual to see an intersection with a, a big pole by the intersection with a light, with a blue light on top. That's to alert you that you're in a high crime area. And usually when you look around, you'll see maybe one or two or three Chicago City police cars because something's always happening in that area. Not a place I like to walk. In fact, the people I would work with then, I'd always tell them, and I had a couple ladies, and I'd say, don't make the calls on these facilities in the, later in the day when the sun starts going down. Come in the morning, later in the morning, in the hours of the daylight. And, and better yet, if you're going to go, maybe I should go with you. What do you think? In my suit, I look like the Godfather. So, <laughs> but the fact is, it was a treacherous road, and uh, one that this was not unusual, so people would know this context. So then, what is it? What would a, what would a priest look like? There's a picture on the screen of, of a priest. That would be an example of a priest. And how about a Levite? This is a model of a Levite in the, in the wardrobe a Levite would wear. And then the next slide are three Samaritans. So you can see what a Samaritan would look like. The next slide you can see the valuable olives and the wine. It's a picture of 
of really that Samaritan, this might have been his only wealth. He didn't probably have a whole lot, and I'll tell you this. He didn't have an OSHA-approved first aid kit on his donkey. This was his OSHA first aid kit, and probably his clothes, with clothes, the bandages, were things that he had to tear his own clothes to help bandage this man. And then, when he put him on his donkey, then he brought him where? To the, the inn of the Samaritan. And there actually is an inn off of that road called the Inn of the Samaritan. It's not a Courtyard Marriott, or certainly not a JW, but it's where he would have said this, this man, he would have taken him. And he gave the innkeeper two denarii. There's another thing that Jesus is sharing here. The generosity of this Samaritan man. That, those two large silver coins would have been enough estimated to take care of that man at that inn with food and lodging for two weeks. Is that generosity? Isn't that beautiful? He did that. He didn't know this man. But then he said, not only will I, he gave him that, but he said, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense when I come back. The fact is, uh, this Samaritan had a heart that had a bent toward grace and mercy. And see, if we don't have that heart that's bent to grace and mercy, how or maybe we haven't experienced the compassion that God has shown to us in Christ. You see, it's when we come to understanding where we are. And I think those words of Paul in Ephesians 1 say it all. As for you, you were dead, or Ephesians 2, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit that is now at work in all who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we too were objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions, for it's by grace that we have been saved. You see, it's when we realize that we are the beaten man, that we are the one who need to understand the need for compassion, because the compassion we've received from Christ. That, my friends, is how our bent should be. When we don't acknowledge the needs of others, those around us, when we walk by, doesn't it point to the fact that we haven't acknowledged the compassion that we have been shown? The stark reality is there are many marginalized in our world today. And I'm not just talking about poor in terms of economically. I'm talking about people that are poor in spirit. I meet many people each week, I'm usually exposed to a few people that I meet that are searching, that need to know Jesus as their Savior. Don't think they always need to, they don't need him. Maybe somewhat like the legal experts, some of us come to that place where we want to justify ourselves. We want to justify what we do. And Jesus is saying it's not at all about justifying what you have done. It's what I've done for you.
The fact is, our fallen nature makes us prone to dehumanize, which is a, really an act of refusal to recognize the image of God in others. That's one of the problems, great problems in our world that's happened from the beginning of the time of the fall, and that is exploitation. It's no different than when Jesus walked in Galilee. The fact is, today we live in an environment that's riddled with sex trafficking, pornography, a disregard to the lives of the unborn. All we have to do is shudder when we think about what happened in the state of New York a couple weeks ago. A dehumanization continued to grow of the unborn against the unborn. And I would just say it, it was appalling what the governor of Virginia said. Made my heart sink. Then I thought, am I any different in other ways in my life? Do I show an apathy sometimes? Do I show maybe a selfishness that certainly needs to reflect Christ? That people are not commodities. They're made in the image of God. One of the biggest issues we have in our culture today is what I call tribalism. You know what tribes are. Broken in different areas, whether you feel the, believe the same way, and whether it's in religion, whether it's in ethnicity, whether it's in, from a geography. It's anyone who doesn't think quite like you. Maybe doesn't look quite like you. Have you asked the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of your heart? I have to tell you, and there's a number of you I know who have been in this class, these classes, but since over the last year plus, we've offered grace and truth here at Community Church. Grace and truth is a ministry, these sessions, five sessions, that really look from an orthodox view of how should the Christian, how should we be as a church to those that are LGBT plus? What does that look like? And I have to tell you, some 90 people have attended those classes. And almost, I would say, most of the 90 people left with a different understanding of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ and who we should be. How we're called to love. We don't have to affirm a behavior, but we need to love the person. We've done a really good job over time of pushing people away from the church. We should be the church that welcomes everyone to the transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. Come in and let God work. You see, this is the teaching that God and Jesus wanted us to see in the neediness of the vulnerable man is we are that man and we are the neighbor. I have a story for you. It's a story that kind of, I think, speaks into what does it mean to minister to others? In the book by John Ortberg, The Life You've Always Wanted, he tells the story of Tom. Tom is in advanced schooling. I think he's probably in seminary. Tom was led to want to visit a convalescent home to maybe meet some people that are what I'll call marginalized in another way. And so Tom made a visit to one of those facilities, and with him he brought a few stemmed roses 
just single stem roses, with a desire that he'd look for people and give them a rose. Well, he happened to one day walk down a hallway and he saw a woman that was strapped in a chair. And as he got closer, oh my, he was quite taken back. She was grotesque, grotesque to say the least. Her eyes were very white around her pupils. It was apparent that she was blind. Her nose had shifted over and become distorted, her mouth also, and she drooled. She had a sore on the side of her face, which was cancer eating away at her. Tom gently put a flower into her hand and said, I have a flower for you. And she took it and tried to smell it. She says, that's very nice of you, but I can't see. Can I give it to someone else? So he wheeled her down. She came to a place and he gently took the flower. He said, here. And she handed it to another patient. And then she said these words clearly. Here, this is from Jesus for you. Tom realized, whoa, this woman has a story as we all have a story. So over time, he would go and see Mabel. Mabel was 89 years old. She worked with her mother on their farm, just her mother and, and her, until her mother died, and then she worked it until her health was such that she couldn't work it anymore. And she needed to be in this home. There was no family member, no one. One day, as Tom was studying for some exams, he came to his mind, he said, I wonder what Mabel thinks about all the time. So his next visit that week, he went to see Mabel. And he sat down, he said, Mabel, they've of course gotten to know each other. He said, Mabel, I, I've never asked you this, but what do you, what do you think about? You can't see. She had a hard time hearing. She did have a hearing aid. And she said this, I think about Jesus. Then I'm gonna read this quote. I think about how good he's been to me. He's been awfully good to me in my life, you know. I'm one of that kind who's mostly satisfied. Think about the context of this. I say lots of folks wouldn't care much for what I think. Lots of folks wouldn't think I'm kind of old. They might think I'm old-fashioned. But I don't care. I'd rather have Jesus than all the world to me. And then she started to sing in a garbled voice but clear. Jesus is all the world to me, my life, my joy, my all. He is my strength from day to day. Without him I would fall. When I am sad, to him I go. No other one can cheer me so. When I am sad, he makes me glad. He's my friend. Can you imagine someone in that state that has trusted, has a faith so deep. Tom realized that he was standing or sitting on holy ground. It's as if a burning bush was there, a theophany from God. He was standing on holy ground. And as I reflected on this, the story of Mabel, someone who was marginalized, someone who probably most people pass by, in fact, 
When new nurses were hired at the facility, the supervisors would put them to Mabel first because if they could take dealing with her and her looks, they could do anything there. This past week, Tuesday night, I realized that Grief Share, which we have on 5.30, and if any of you are suffering with grief, a loss of a loved one, I invite you to come. But I realized during our session Tuesday night that I was on holy ground. People were sharing deeply tears, hearts that were hurting. I realized there was a burning bush in the fireside room. Thursday afternoon, I was with Scott and Mary Nykirk. Maybe they're watching now. I will tell you, your faith was deep. I realized when I left there, I was on holy ground. You see, my friends, we're called, you and I, we are the man and we are the neighbor. We are the one that God has called us through Christ to serve others. So who is your neighbor? You are your neighbor. You are the one and the one that we are called, realizing the compassion that Jesus showed to us by giving his son. It was he who was lifted up on a donkey. It was he who suffered and was tortured at the cross. It was he who calls us to be the neighbor to others. You see, he knows our needs. So where is your bent this morning? Where is your heart to look for the needs of others? Don't pass by on the other side. If there's ever been a time and maybe you may be the only Bible some people read this week. You see, understanding how we've been shown compassion is then how we are called to love. I was, I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I was dead, but now I live. For Christ lives in me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your living word that's sharper than a double-edged sword, that penetrates the piercing, the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. Nothing is hidden from your sight. Everything is laid bare and uncovered before the eyes of whom we must give an account. Lord, we thank you for the gospel writer. We thank you for Luke who so poignantly was able to share a parable that brings us all to another place, a place where we're called to have our bent, noting the compassion that we have received. And we acknowledge that we are in Christ, that we are a new creation. We so desire by your Holy Spirit to live that out, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Take us on that road from Jerusalem to Jericho, and as we travel that road this week, Lord, we pray that we will not pass by, but we will go and anoint with your love. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. So my friends, 
Go and do likewise. And now to the King eternal, the mortal, the one true God, be honor and glory and dominion, both now and forevermore. Amen.